you know, we, we as Christians, especially today, and in today's time, in the moment we're in right now, we have to be okay with looking different. Um, we, live, we live from a different story. You know, the, the world, the world around us lives by what we see. And what we see is a pandemic. What we see is a, is a disrupted economy uh, that's needing to get kick-started. Uh, and yet we live on this side of Easter, on this side of the resurrection. And the resurrection changed how we think about the entire universe. And there's a line in that song that just made me remember what, how we live in Easter is in the midst of darkness, many of the world around us feel like this darkness is forever. You just got to figure out how to make it in the darkness. And we live as children of light uh, in Matthew 28. Matthew has been our study leading up to Easter. Matthew 28 verse 1 says, on the first day of the week, toward the dawn, that you and I live toward the dawn. And what that means is that we know that night is not forever. We know this darkness is not forever. The story that we are in is God's story that's moving in the direction of his return and new creation. And we live moving toward that future. And so we live that future reality in the present where everybody else is scared because of the darkness and chaos. We live as children of light knowing who we are and where we're going. And so if you live in the light when everybody else is in the darkness, you're going to look a little strange. You're going to sound a little weird. You're going to look different. And you and I have to be okay with that. Not weird because you're weird. Like if you're weird, that's kind of your fault. But Jesus in us makes us different because we think and live differently. And I just, I'm at a, I'm at a place where even in, in times like this, uh, you know, I've seen my son raised from the dead and be completely healed of life-threatening uh, conditions and illness. There's just not a lot that's going to shake me. I just, I've had to go toe-to-toe with fear before. And it, fear is a lie. It's stupid, and it's easy to be tempted by it, but it's lying to us. And if we live the realities of the kingdom of heaven, it's going to look different when everybody else is living the reality of the current state of the world. And so we need to get an idea of this story, this story that we are a part of and know our place in it. And there's a facet of this that I really I want to draw the next few weeks close attention to, <clears throat> and when at the end of last year, when I was praying about the things for this for 2020, I had gotten the feeling that this is this is going to 2020 was going to be a hard year. I had no idea <laughs> um, how, how hard it would be. But uh, when I was praying about what what do, God what what does our congregation need to see? How what what facet of the kingdom of heaven? Do we need to see this year or, or what, what idea in your scripture we need to be living out in a deeper way? And uh, a subject came into my heart in that time and I thought, you know, God, that's really boring. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know if that's interesting enough where people are going to really want to know what that means. And then uh, as I was praying in the midst of this, as we were about to reopen uh, this came back into my heart, and I feel like it's timely, and I want to talk about your work. Uh, how to think about work, your labor, your vocation, in light of the kingdom of God. 
Because as followers of Jesus, we are to bring the totality of our lives into his kingdom. We're to surrender every part of who we are to Jesus and his kingdom. And we're to live every facet of our lives following him. Why should we separate a part of our life that we spend a third of our time doing? Why would, we, why would we think about that differently than everything else in our life as if the only thing Jesus came to do is save our spiritual life? No, our whole life is to be brought in the kingdom of God. And so our work plays an important part of that. And so I want you to see, the, a, I want you to have a biblical vision of work. But for a biblical vision of work, you have to understand something about the story and what story we live in. Because modern times... Uh, reject the idea of a big story. Um, there was a <clears throat> kind of a hangover from the Enlightenment 300 years ago. Uh, it had what's called the modern worldview. And basically this worldview is if we can just advance in technology and educate everyone, we would live in peace and utopia. If we could just get everybody, ed- education is the problem. That's the problem with our world is edu- we don't know enough. We're not informed enough. Uh, and so if we can get more technology, more information, and educate everyone, then, you know, people will get along. And you know what the result of that worldview was? Two world wars. Two world wars in the ovens of Auschwitz. That the most educated parts of Europe ended up in war. Like, so obviously, that's not our big problem. Education is not our big problem. It is a problem, and it is important. It's just not our biggest problem. Well, a worldview that kind of stemmed as a backlash to that is something called the postmodern idea or the postmodern worldview. And basically in that worldview, there is a rejection of any big story. There is no big story. You're on your own. Make it up for yourself. Live your own story. And uh, people are realizing the depravity of that worldview too. And, but, but, but Christians aren't seeing how big God's story really is and our part to play in it. And human beings must have a story. Um, there's, there's study in uh, parts of, of education like anthropology, sociology, and psychology that describe humans that live without a story as formless monsters, living without aim, without direction, and without self-control, that our only living is what we live by distraction or impulse or craving or desire, and it's called formless monsters. Humans need a story, and what God gives us is not a handbook. He gives us a story. Now, when I say story, I don't mean fairy tale. But it is a story. The first words of the Bible are in the beginning. And the last words of the story, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. What kind of literature begins with in the beginning and ends with, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. That's a story. And we have to know the story. And it's that story that saves our story that gives us a part to play. And if we know where the story is going and we know what our part to play is in it, then we can live in such a way to bring that story to its climax, the end of history, which is Jesus returning in new heavens and new earth. And we can live as a part of that story that moves history in that direction. Because without it, we live aimless. We live without direction and we live often without self-control to harness our lives in that direction. And we just give in to whatever desire and craving. And there's many Christians that just want to secure their afterlife and then live for self the rest of their lives. And that's living well beneath the quality of life Jesus gives, which he calls eternal life. And I would imagine we should 
probably see how we spend about a third of our life and our work, how it fits within that story. There's lots of talk about a new normal. And I'm sure you're probably already tired of hearing about it. Uh, that there's a lot said about a new normal. Well, we need to get things back to normal. Well, I'm sorry, there's a new normal. And usually it's said as basically a political pundit. That, that there's someone that's using it as a political scheme to try to reshape the world according to that political agenda. I have every intention of living a new normal. But the problem is, is that it's the same normal we've been living in as the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven has been a new normal since the resurrection and that Christians are to be living in that normal, which to everybody else is weird. We're to live the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't need to bring our lives back to some level of comfort like it's back to normal. No, whatever our normal is needs to be shaped by the kingdom of God. And if we are followers of Jesus, it is our normal, our lives are to be shaped by the resurrected king. And if we can see his story and our part to play, we can be a part of that story. We can bring that story to its climax in our lifetime and be faithful in our generation. Well, work, um, there's many Christian thinkers who place work or labor as a result of the fall. That God's original design for humans was to lay in hammocks and let fruit just kind of fall off the tree and into our mouths uh, and just be aimless in life and just, you know, hippies. Um, <clears throat> that, that's, not, that's not the design that God has. And it's my responsibility as a pastor is to help bring these scriptures to you so that these scriptures can shape your thinking. Uh, I can't shape your thinking. And if I do, it's probably with wrong motive or wrong powers. All I want to do is present scripture to you and let scripture and the Holy Spirit shape your thinking and your worldview. And it's important that we see our part in this and that our thinking be shaped by scripture, not us impose our ideas onto scripture. Well, we'll be in Genesis 1 pretty much this entire time with the exception of two verses uh, because this is the origins of the story here. Um, and this story is a story of work. You look at the biblical story, it's a story of work, God's work, and then our part in that work. But um, this week and next week, I'll be talking about work for a few weeks, but this week and next week, we'll, we'll be kind of laying all the story out so that we, then we can get the details, because that's just the kind of, how I want to teach you is not just give you four, four points to a better life, um, because those usually don't last very long. Um, if they're good ideas and you might be able to put a few of them into practice immediately, but if I just give you four points for this and three points for that and five points for this, uh, you're eventually going to just go, this is stupid. Um, but if I can get you in the story, you'll find the three, four, five, whatever uh, points you need. And so before I can give you some of the practical, practical elements of work, I want you to see the story of work. And you got to see that in God's story. And that's the agenda being given to us in Genesis 1 is to lay out God's story. Your Bible is not a devotional grab bag where you just sort of randomly grab whatever's in front of you uh, and, uh, you know, think that that's all there is. Now, can you get devotional elements out of it? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, But I don't know if y'all's Bible study was like mine used to be. You sort of throw your Bible on the bed and whatever page it opens to, that's where I'll read and hopefully God says something. And if it doesn't open, you're like, "Ah, I guess we're not studying today. (laughs) Your Bible... 
Your Bible's more than that. Um, nor is it a, like a handbook, like a manual. Are you interested in reading manuals? No, no, you're not. Sometimes you feel like you have to. Um, and most of us dudes are like, manuals, manual. Come on, get it out of the way. I know what I'm doing. This is not a manual, okay? It's a story. And in reading the story, you become part of the story. And when you become part of the story, your story gets saved, salvaged in the story. Well, Genesis 1 is, that's what it's trying to do, is show you how this story is framed and set up. The agenda is not to give you a scientific manual about the details of creation. Now, can you extrapolate some scientific data from here? I'm sure you can, and there's a lot. And I'm not interested in the debates at the moment. Those debates about when you go to Genesis 1, they have a part to play. Truthfully, they're not that interesting to me. Um, I I don't think that my entire Bible is structured on one idea that it has to be scientifically proven. This Bible has been true long before science said it was or wasn't. So let's just let the story speak to us and guide our story and what's happening, okay? So Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning. Well, when was that? How long ago was that? And the writer's looking at us going, it's in the beginning. (laughs) Well, when was that? In the beginning. Well, give us exactly when that was. It was in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's up there and what's down here? The earth was, important phrase, without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Okay, so what's being set up for us is we're we're seeing this picture that the world was in this watery chaos of darkness. That it wasn't necessarily nothing it was like this watery chaos. And the, the phrase here, without form and void, is a Hebrew phrase which has a little poetic kick to it. It's called tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu. It's, it's supposed to be a bit of a rhyme to you. Now, Genesis 1 is your like, like framework for the entire scripture. So you could spend a lifetime in Genesis 1 and not exhaust all that's here. I mean, everything is important about Genesis 1. Here, tohu vavohu, it's translated formless and void. Maybe an English way of kind of keeping the rhyme to it is wild and waste. Uh, Formless means that that there's, the, the tohu is that there's no real shape to it. There's no form, there's no order to it. Void means that it's empty. There's just nothing, there's really nothing habitable there. Uh, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Tohu vavohu is a phrase also used to describe in scripture uh, desert wastelands, like a desert. Um, now, can humans flourish in a dark desert wasteland? No. No, rattlesnakes can flourish, maybe. A few other creatures that are creepy can flourish, but humans can't, okay? Genesis 1 is a description of how God goes into the, the, the wild wasteland and creates a form and order for humans to be present and flourish. This whole thing is about making the world habitable for human flourishing. Okay, then verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So you see here, the first three cycles of creation are about God giving shape and form, order to the formlessness. 
The next three days of creation, days four, five, and six, are about God filling the void. So he creates form from the formless, and he fills the void. That's how the structure basically goes. And if you look at this structure, God is creating some order. So he takes light, he creates light, and then separates the light from the darkness. Calls the light day and the darkness night. Now, who is light good for? Humans. You know, most, a lot of animals, they don't have to have light to flourish. They can flourish in the dark. But humans need light, and so they need day. So God is creating this order so that, it, that, that this creation is habitable for human flourishing. And he goes on, we're, gonna, we're not going to go verse by verse because that would be interesting and long. But verse 11, a um, little, little extra little thing here. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to his kind on the earth. So which trees are being created here? Fruit trees. Who are fruit trees good for? Humans. Giraffes don't need fruit trees. They're fine with leaves. Humans need fruit trees. But what about all the other trees? And the author's going, hey, don't worry about that. I'm telling you fruit trees are going to be very important for this story. <laughs> Put in little clues. There's clues all over here. Um, Verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to his kind. And God saw that it was good, good. Okay, verse, let's jump down to the end. We're gonna fast forward all the way through the end. Verse 31, so God has gone through this whole order, six cycles of creation, filling, uh, giving shape and form to the formlessness, the tohu, and filling the void or the, the vohu. And he says this in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was muy bien. It was very good. What's the word God uses to describe his creative work? Good. And this is the seventh of seven times he uses the word good. Interestingly, he does not use the word perfect. He uses the word good. That word is the Hebrew word tov. Um, interesting, well, also enough, a little fun fact for you. Um, uh, the word evil in Hebrew is the word ra. So there's the, the tree of tov and ra. Anyway, it's, you, those Hebrew words are used very carefully throughout scripture in unique ways. But he, what, so he uses this word to describe his creative work, and that is Good. So God goes into his present, his personal presence, his spirit, goes into the wild wastelands and creates order and beauty, and he calls that work good. Look at this, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his, what? Work. So who's the first worker in scripture? God is. He finished his work. So what is God's work? God's work, and I'm gonna have to go back on the slides on this one because this would be worth putting down. What is God's work? God's work is turning the wild wastelands into order and beauty and goodness. When God works, what does God do? He becomes personally present, spirit, hovering over the face of the waters. He's personally present into the wild, dark wastelands, the tohu vavohu, and he creates order and beauty. And that process of work, he calls good. 
That's God's work. Now, God's, God's work is for who? Humans. God's work was not for himself. God's work was for humans to be shared. And so God's vision for work is that it is an other-centered activity. His vision for work is that it is shared. Work is not just for survival. Now, I would hope that in your working, you survive. But that's not the purpose of your work. The purpose of your work is to share. And you go back in Genesis 1, back to the creation of humans, chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. So mankind is the image of God. Again, I've said this before. I'll keep saying it until we make sense of it. The image of God is not something we have. It's something we are. And we either are it or we fail to be it. It's not something we have or lose. Mankind is made in the image of God. And here verse 26 says, let, let, in our likeness, let them have dominion. So whatever the image of God is, and it's a lot of stuff, it includes having dominion. And then a little three-line poem in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them five things. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Each of those five are important and can be treated uniquely and developed throughout the whole of Scripture. But let me just draw attention to three of them. First of all, humans are the only people or the only creatures on day six that God commands or speaks a blessing over, says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Animals were created with the capacity to reproduce. But God doesn't command them to reproduce. He just gives them the capacity to do so. Driven by instinct, that's what they're going to do. You put two rabbits together, male and female, what do you get? A bunch of whole more rabbits. Anything living has within it the potential for reproduction. So flowers will create more flowers. Trees will produce more trees. There is reproductive powers in all that is living. But God uniquely commands humans to reproduce. Why? Why not just make them able? Well, because that's what animals do. They do that instinctively. No, because when mankind reproduces, we do more than just make babies. We make families. And families make neighborhoods, and neighborhoods make communities, and communities make cities, where there's something about the structure of our reproduction that isn't just for the sake of reproduction, it's creating something more than just the reproduction. There's order to it. And so God is releasing his co-workers to fill the earth, to multiply intentionally, because when we are in community, we don't just survive together. We actually, something unique happens when we're in community. There's culture. There's art. And our work is something that becomes shared together. And the third thing I'll draw attention to is the word subdue. Subdue means to bend something to your will. That's literally what it means, to bend it towards your will. But what part of what this means is to take the raw potential of something 
and harness it in a direction where its full potential is realized. So literally, this is referring to here in Genesis 1.28, is referring to agriculture. So tomatoes will reproduce tomatoes on its own. But if a gardener subdues it, a gardener is going to nurture the soil, is going to water it properly, organize it or create order for tomato plants so that it doesn't just naturally reproduce, it reproduces to its higher potential. Subduing something is taking its raw potential and harnessing it in a direction where its full potential gets realized. There's no hint here of exploitation, at least at this part. So what is work? What, what does it look like for mankind to be God's co-workers? Because if we're made in his image and in his likeness and he commissions us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion, that means we are commissioned with his work. And if his work is to go into the tohu vavohu and create tov, then what is our work? Our work is to go into the wild wastelands of our lives and in our world and create order and beauty, and God calls that work good. It's not just sacred work. For years, I've been very irritated at a false dichotomy between sacred and secular. As if, you know, a job on church staff is somehow more sacred or more holy than everybody else's job. And it's, that's, uh, it's a lie. It's not true. <laughs> Besides my own attitude of it, it's just not, it's just not true. That's, that, is, that is an unbiblical framework. What you do as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is ministry. You don't have to be paid by a nonprofit or a church to do ministry. What you do in your work, yeah, but I just work as a teller. That's ministry. That's work that God calls good. Your work, whatever it is, is about going into your workplace, into an industry, into a community, and going into that tohu vavahu, that wild waste, and harnessing the potential that God put in it. God put the potential in the soil and the seed. God put a potential in you. To subdue it is to go from raw potential to experience or a flourishing potential. That our work is to go into industries into our workplace and find the tohu vavahu, the, the wild and waste and darkness and shine light into it. Bring order from the chaos to bring goodness in the midst of fear. Where everything is disrupted, we come in, our work is to bring order and beauty and God calls that work good. That's ministry, that is God's work and that's the work that he brought us in on. So when we, when we are looking at right now, we have, it's something roughly within a few percentage points, like 25% unemployment. Like we were down to like 4% unemployment in this economy, which is one of the lowest we've had in, I mean, ever. And it jumped from 3, 4, 5 to 23, 24, 25%. And there's a big political push to either we got to keep it shut down or fight the man. We need to get back to work. 
and just get back to work. And now people are like, okay, I lost my job. Do I get my job back? Do I go look for a new job? And there's lots of fear and disruption in the midst of that. You got one out of every four people losing their job. That causes a lot of fear. There's a lot of chaos. And I am very much in favor of people getting back to work because work is a part of how we image God. But I am not in favor of going back to work just for work's sake. What we have an opportunity for as the people of God is when we think about this biblically, we have an opportunity to reshape economy. Not just to try to get the economy back to where it was. For all the good our economy was, there's lots of exploitation. I mean, a lot of our economy is built on consumption. Like your value to your country right now is considered how much you can consume. If you think about it, the health of nations is measured on its GDP, gross domestic product. And all that is, is the exchange of money. How many times money exchanges hands. So we're deeming the health of a nation on how much it buys. Something screwed up about that, truthfully. That it's, it is wrong and unhealthy for your nation to take a day off. I think that is not a normal I want to get back to. Now, do I want a bad economy? Oh, heck no. No way. What I do want, though, is the people of God to think about this as citizens of the kingdom because you guys need to know your primary citizenship is not an American citizenship. Your primary citizenship is in the heavens. Philippians chapter 3. Our citizenship is in the heavens. You are primarily a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Second to that is your citizenship in this country. What I, am, what, I am think, what I see as an opportunity is that now people endowed with the mind of Christ, with the wisdom of God, who want to glorify God in their work, now can reshape industries in accordance to the kingdom of God, rather than just modern technology and whatever people will buy. That industries, new industries could come out in this time because the people of God are paying more attention to the Holy Spirit than just to whatever news cycle is happening that day. And if we can't think about this biblically, then we're just going to get stuck in one cycle after another. And we may get our economy back up in order, but to what gain? For what purpose? I mean, if I have to choose between a bad economy and a good economy, I'm going to choose a good economy. However, what if the economy needed a reset and now a new normal is not shaped by politicians in Washington, but by Christians in Grayson County? I would be more interested in a new normal that we can create than what Washington can create. They're arguing and they'll just keep arguing and it's all going to be stupid anyway. And I have my opinions about it, which obviously they're leaking out. (laughs) But, But a new stimulus package, no matter how big or how small it is, is not what's really going to bring an economy back. It's going to be you and I knowing how we can glorify God in something like our work. And I'm not just talking about like your paid job. You know, my wife and I raised five children. My wife, she works part-time, but she's full-time mom. 
that is a really underpaid, overworking job. So basically, whatever I make goes in her hands. <laughs> uh, anything, anything over $10, I have to ask permission. <laughs> the work, what is parenting? Parenting is subduing our children's character, their mind, their heart, and harnessing their raw potential so that they reach their full potential. It's being fruitful and multiplying, not out of impulse or craving or sexual desire, but actually harnessing. We had five children, not because we had nothing to do, but (laughs) we have five children because we had a word from God that says the shaping of our children's character will be like arrows shot into the heart of the enemy as they grow up and you're commissioned into their world. That this world needs my children. Well, what I'm to do is to go into the tohu vavohu of their character, the, the wild and waste of their mind. Have you ever been around a child's mind? It's crazy what goes on in there or what doesn't go on in there. It's harnessing, subduing that, harnessing their potential, not exploiting them, not uh, breaking their wit, not breaking their spirit but harnessing their, their will, their raw potential to be all that God's called them to. That's work. That's, that's, that's glorifying God in shaping them to be all that God's made them to be so that they are, are vessels of God's kingdom in this world. And God calls that work good. That's very good. It's very good when we can bring order and in the midst of chaos. And there's chaos and there's people looking for leadership. <clears throat> and I desperately want people to see the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus truly is in charge of the world. And that Christians need to fight for more than our freedom. I'm for fighting for our freedom. If I have to choose between more freedom and less freedom, I will choose more freedom anytime. But instead of just trying to speak out for freedom, let's actually be witnesses of Jesus that utilizes that freedom to go into the formless and void and actually bring order and beauty instead of just being mad and shouting at the government to let us do more. What more do we get to do? We can have for freedom for what? For personal agenda? Well, that's, what, I mean, as Americans, that's kind of what we're good at. We want more freedom to do what we want to do. And I want freedom. But what I want to do is express the character of Christ in the midst of that freedom. So that our witness is more than just, hey, let us get back to church. Our witness isn't just give us more freedom. It's how can we give our lives for the sake of this world? Because that's what Jesus does. Now, next week, we'll get into Genesis 2 and 3 and how work takes wisdom and where do we get wisdom? And then what does work look like after the fall? And then how does that kind of work in this broken world as it's reconciled in Jesus moves us towards new creation but for now, what I, what, I, what I need us to see in whatever small part we are in the God's grand cosmic story that Victory Life Church in Sherman, Texas, Grayson County, whatever small part we can play is that we are surrendered to Jesus 
so that our lives truly bring the kingdom of God into this world and our jobs are not separate from that agenda. We don't just have a job so that we can do that on the side. No, our jobs are an expression of God's image and we can be vessels of God's kingdom even in that vocation, even if it's not ministry. No, your job is is your ministry and you can be a vessel of God's kingdom here on this earth. That's what our country needs. That's what our world needs. Yes, I want freedom, but I want Christians to reshape entire industries around the kingdom of God, creating new industries instead of technology being the only force that reshapes industries and how we think about jobs. Christians need to be thinking about how our jobs, how how we can reshape industries to glorify God instead of just getting more money. But it's not just at a job level. Yeah, that's kind of boring and I get it. (laughs) Um, Talking about your work is not the most interesting. But we're not just talking about work here. Because more than just our jobs, there are other parts of our life that are tohu vavohu, that are wild and waste. That in many, in many of us, our relationships or marriage or our friendships are a wild and waste. Um, for many people, our bodies are suffering. I mean, it's not just a pandemic, you know, just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean other diseases just stopped and said, oh, well, we'll, go, we'll back up. We'll let, you know, COVID-19 have the play for right now. We'll come back when that's done. So there's plenty of other sicknesses and diseases still ravaging people's body. And that creates a a, a wild waste in our bodies. Um, Mental health was already on the rise and COVID-19 just exacerbated it. And so our minds can be a place of darkness and wild and waste. And so what I want you to see most is that when there's Tohu vavohu and darkness. When there's wild and waste and darkness, where is God? Present. By his spirit, hovering over the face of the waters. Where is God in the midst of your wild and waste, whether that be your body or your mind or your job or your family or your neighborhood? God's present. His spirit is present. But his work is is when we as his co-workers access that spirit and by faith appropriate his promises into our lives. And so that it's by his wisdom, by his grace, by his power, we access his promises by faith and realize his promises in the midst of our darkness and wild and waste. And so let me, let me just pray. That's, that's really what I want to do is pray and just, in a sense, show you what I mean. When, you know, when when my son was in the NICU and his prognosis was a lifetime of disease and injury, the Holy Spirit was there. But it took my wife and I accessing his power by faith And I remember very distinctly the crystal clear voice of Jesus. Which it's not like that happens a hundred times in my life. When it was that clear has happened maybe four times in my entire life. 
but those four times reshaped how I thought and my relationship with Jesus and the crystal clear voice of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Believe only. My job is not to make things happen. My job, my role, my responsibility is not to go create something new or force God's hand. My job, my responsibility is to believe 